We've all probably done at one time or another a DIY project at the house, right? And those are an adventure sometimes. We think we are often helping, yet oftentimes we get into something that we have no business doing, right? Yet we've watched a couple YouTube videos and now we can conquer the world. You ever been there? Right? You click on a YouTube how-to and you watch a video of some guy that you don't even know if he's doing it right, but because it's on YouTube, then it must be right. And so you follow along and you get into the project and you get frustrated and you get a little upset and you realize, my help has only made the problem worse. Is that true for a lot of us? I know it's true for me. That's the situation we see Abram and Sarai in, to, in tonight. Here in, in Genesis chapter 16, they think God needs their help, but the help that they give to God only ends in hurt. We read Genesis 15, and in Genesis 15, God has shown Abram repeatedly, over and over, how many times he has said, he has told him the promises of God. That's what I want to show you here first tonight. At this point in the story, God has repeatedly made a promise to Abram. We saw it in Genesis chapter 12. He said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will make you great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. All families of the earth will be blessed through you. That's Genesis 12. Genesis 13, God comes back again, and he reiterates that promise again. And really the promise of God to Abraham involves something very important, and that is descendants. Lots and lots of descendants. Innumerable, God says, like the sand of the sea and the stars in heaven. Right? He, he tells him in, in chapter 15, verse 5, look now toward heaven and count the stars. If you are able to number them, he said, so shall your descendants be. Just a ton of descendants that Abram will have. In chapter 15, verse 4, he says, Abram, these descendants will, will come from one that comes from your own body. And then in chapter 15, verses 9 to 17, God visibly cuts this covenant with Abraham. He, 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 he literally comes down and, and, and confirms to Abram that this will take place. The only question left for Abram is if the promise of God will hold true because the promises are there, but also we see a predicament. What is the predicament for Abram? The promise is based on descendants, of which Abram has zero. There's no descendants. He says it in chapter 15, verse 2. He says, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? Verse 3 of chapter 15, then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. And then he says, the closest thing that I have to an heir, the closest thing I have to, to offspring is Eliezer, this servant of mine. The crux of the promise of God to Abram is descendants, and Abram has none. In chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. God makes these great promises to Abram, yet it seems like God has left out a huge part of his promise, doesn't it? Abram, here it all is. This is all he is. This is what you're going to get. 
This is all that's going to happen to you. But what the whole promise is built around, Abram doesn't have yet. Are God's promises still good even when they don't look so good? Are God's promises going to come true when it looks like there's no chance? Keep in mind, at this point, Abram and Sarai are older people. He left Haran when he was 75 years old, and that was a few years ago in the story. And so they're coming to this point where the promise of God looks like it's failing miserably. And so what do any good people do? They offer a couple propositions. A couple propositions. In chapter 15 and in chapter 16, Abram offers God two propositions. Since God's promise has obviously fallen short, Abram offers God some help. Right? God, obviously, you're not coming through with this, and obviously something kind of got a little messed up here, so here's a couple options for you. Here's my DIY project for God's promises. Chapter 15, verse 3, Abram insinuates that Eliezer would be his heir, and that maybe God could fulfill his promise through him. He says, um, indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Verse 3. So Abram is kind of like, okay, God, it doesn't look like you're going to give me any children, so maybe you could fulfill this promise with like a surrogate heir, right? Eliezer, who's in my household, could be the one through whom you're going to work. You know, make Eliezer like my son and make that count. And how does God respond? Verse 4. The word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir. God basically says, nope, no way. That is not going to happen. And then he says, one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. One that will come from your own body will be your heir. And then in verse 5 of chapter 15, he reiterates again the promise. Descendants like the stars of heaven. How does Abram respond? Look at verse 6. What a great verse a verse that's quoted often in the New Testament as well. It says, And Abram believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Wow. Abram, trusting in God, a promise that doesn't look like it's going to work out. And he trusts in God, and God accounts it to him for righteousness. We see that quoted several times in the New Testament. when refers to us as being sons of Abraham, in essence, sons of the faith of Abraham. See, things didn't look too good here, but Abram knew that God would work them out. Abram had faith in God. We're good, right? Not so fast. Not so fast. In our study of Abram, we've only covered a few chapters so far. We see these great highs of faith followed by what? Really low points of doubt. And this is one right here. Here he says he believed in the Lord and it counted, him, counted it to him for righteousness. Yet, on the heels of his faith, chapter 15, comes one of the most bizarre moments in the entire Bible. Chapter 16. Abram and Sarai conspire in chapter 16 for one of the ultimate, what were they thinking, moments in Scripture. It's okay, you can say that about Bible characters. What were they thinking? 
Abram's suggestion of Eliezer as his heir in chapter 15 comes with a stern rebuke, but there's, there's little fallout from it, little consequence from that. However, the proposition that they offer God in chapter 16 comes with incredible consequences, huge consequences. And in Genesis chapter 16, we see a new character introduced on the scene here. Let's read the first six verses of chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai said, Abram's wife took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, that's Hagar, her mistress, that's Sarai, became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. So chapter 16, just an incredible few verses. Hagar is Sarai's maid servant. Hagar is Egyptian. Good chance that she came from chapter 12. Remember when, when there was a famine in Canaan and, and uh, Abram and Sarai go down into Egypt and, and Abram lies about Sarai being her sis, his sister. And, but he, also, he, he leaves Egypt blessed by God and Pharaoh gives him cattle and, and flocks and herds and all sorts of things, but also gives him servants. So Hagar probably came from that, which potentially that could have been avoided had Abram trusted God back then and not gone down into Egypt. So we kind of have some compounding things going on here as well. In chapter, what we see in chapter 16 is that Sarai offers an alternative heir for Abram. Remember, Abram had just done the same thing. In 15, he said, use Eliezer. So in chapter 15, Abram offers an alternative heir. In, in chapter 16, Sarai offers an alternative heir. Both of them thought the promise of God is going to fail unless we step in. That's a dangerous proposition, isn't it? The promise of God is going to fail unless we take matters into our own hands and we help God. We help him out because it doesn't look like he's, he's able to do it on his own. And by Sarai's suggestion, she says that Abram should have a child with Hagar. And what does Abram say? That's a good idea. Say it, you can say it with me. What were they thinking? What is going on up here? Is that the kind of help that God needs? Is that the kind of help that God wants? I don't think so. Abram takes Sarai's proposal instead of trusting in God's promise. He takes his wife's proposal instead of trusting in God's promise. And there is a rationalization here. I think it's worth pointing out. In chapter 15, verse 4, God said, One who comes from your own body shall be your heir. 
maybe Abram is rationalizing this by thinking, well, God said one that comes from my body will be my heir. But he didn't say what had to come from Sarah's body. So maybe he's thinking, okay, that makes sense. I can make that happen. I'll help God out by doing this. I I can't guarantee that's what was going through Abram's mind, but it's certainly plausible. Doesn't that often sound like the rationalizations we use? Right? Kind of the, the way to skirt around the issue. Maybe something we shouldn't get ourselves into, but we say, you know, well, because of this and this, and we'll, we'll make it make sense. You know, those are the times we're not trusting God. That's the times when we're taking matters into our own hands. Be careful how you help God. Be careful how you help God. Are you doing what God wants you to do or are you doing what you want to do and hoping God agrees with it and stamps his approval on it? There's a big difference between the two. We have to be careful with that in our own lives. We have to be careful that in a church that we don't just run off and do what we want and then pray for God to please bless what we just did. No, our mindset should be, God, what do you want us to do? Lead us right? Lead me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. For your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Don't just stamp your approval on what I've done. Let me do what you want me to do. Well, chapter 16, verse 4, he went into Hagar and she conceived. So their plan, as foolish as it may be, was quickly successful. Hagar is pregnant. And at this point in the story, things go about as well as you would think they would go in a situation like this. Things go about as well as one would expect. Hagar, the end of verse 4, despises Sarai. End of verse 6, Sarai despises Hagar. Abram's caught in the middle. What a mess, right? What What a disaster, When you take matters into your own hands, it always causes more problems than solutions, always causes more questions than answers. Don't try to solve God's problems for him. First of all, God has no problems. Secondly, you have no solutions for his problems. He is infinite. We are finite. In verse 6, being the master, Sarai here has the upper hand, and she has permission from Abram to do as she wants to do. And so what does she do? End of verse 6, she deals harshly with Hagar, and she flees from her presence. Think of Hagar here. What else could she do? Where else could she go? She's a foreigner in a foreign land. She's been used and now thrown out of the household. What a mess. What a disaster. Do we not see similar things like that in our world today? Just utter disasters, utter messes in families, in marriages, in children. Children that are crushed, families that are a wreck. Why? Getting off the path that God has for us. Getting off into our own ideas thinking we are doing what is right, but in actuality we are doing what is right in our own eyes. That's what's happening here. 
When we do things according to our own desires and our own plans, don't be surprised when they go about this well. Not very well. I want to show you the next one here, though. In, in Genesis 16, 7 to 13, we see a little bit of an interlude in the story. The story follows Hagar, and not Abram and Sarah, for just a little bit. And in these few verses, we see a tremendous portrait of God's love and his tenderness towards people. So we see the promises, the predicament, the propositions, and now the protection. Let's read verses 7 to 13. Now the angel of the Lord found her. This is Hagar. She's, she's run. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? This is just an incredible little chunk of scripture. Hagar here despised, rejected, cast out, used and cast out. Yet we see through God's care of Hagar, we see the fatherly love of God for the outcast, for the abandoned, for the abused, for the mistreated. Here's Hagar. She's pregnant. She's on the run in the wilderness. And in verse 7, the angel of the Lord himself appears to Hagar. Now, this would be a whole nother study that we could get into. We don't have time for it tonight. But the angel of the Lord shows up several times in the Old Testament. And I would submit that the angel of the Lord, based on what you see and, and what he does in his appearances in the Old Testament, is actually a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. A pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ, the angel, capital A, of the Lord. And it's interesting. The first place that the angel of the Lord appears in Scripture is not to somebody like Abram, not to somebody like Noah, not to, not to Adam, not to anybody else, you know, some big great character in the Bible. The first time that the angel of the Lord appears to somebody in Scripture is here to Hagar. Let that sink in for a moment. The outcast, the mistreated one, the, the, the lady on the run. And the angel of the Lord comes to Hagar. What does that tell us about God? What does that tell us about his fatherly care and tenderness for people? Notice in verse 13, Hagar, after they've talked, it says, she, she says, or calls the Lord, you are the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? She also calls him, she called the name of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. So we see kind of the deity of the angel of the Lord here, that being the name for Yahweh. 
So Hagar, the outcast, the abused, the mistreated, is on the run, and God sends his son to earth to minister to her. What a picture. What is that setup that comes later in the New Testament? When God the Father sends the Son to this earth to build up, to heal the sick, to give sight to the blind, to help those who are struggling, and ultimately Christ's purpose for coming to earth to, to accomplish victory over sin, death, and hell by his death on the cross. What God does for Hagar here in sending the angel of the Lord is a great picture of what he'll, he does for all of us in sending Christ to die for us. What a picture of, of Christ in the Old Testament, foreshadowing what he's going to do thousands of years later. When we are at our lowest, our weakest, our most victimized, our most vulnerable. God sees us and he comforts us. He knows us and he cares for us. Remember Psalm 139 from this morning? We are always in the presence of God. Hagar says, you are the God who sees me. You can't go anywhere that God does not see you. Use that to keep you on the, on the straight and narrow path and not falling into sin, but use that also knowing that when you are, you are beat up and beat down and things aren't going so well, God sees you. Hagar calls him the God, you are the God who sees. I think that's just an incredible portrait of God. This happens again for Hagar in chapter 21. After Ishmael is born, Hagar and Ishmael go on the run again. They're kicked out of Abraham's household at that point. And they're both about to die of thirst. And she sets Ishmael off to the side and she goes off to the side because she doesn't want to see his, her son die. And God comes again at her weakest, lowest, most vulnerable time. God steps in and cares for them. What can we learn about God from that? God cares for the ones who are taken advantage of. He cares for those who have been discarded. You may have been discarded by society. You may have been cast off by somebody. Maybe you've seen this happen in your own life, or maybe you've seen this happen in other people's lives, where God is the one who sees. He comes. He helps. What a lesson in contrast here for a second. Abram and Sarai, the ones in power, taking advantage of a person and taking advantage of a situation to try to do what they thought God couldn't do. And then Hagar, who only had what? The mercy of God to fall back on. That's all she had. No power in her own strength. Nothing to do to offer God. But the mercy of God steps in. The protection that God gives to Hagar. I think it's an incredible picture. Lastly here, I want to show you the problems that come from this. When Abram and Sarah take matters into their own hands, they create more questions than answers and more problems than solutions. We need to remember that what God has promised will come to pass regardless of our best attempts to ruin it. It's true. We don't think we're doing that sometimes, but we sometimes are setting out to ruin the promises of God. When God is working, let God work. Don't put your oar in the water. You don't think it's working out. You don't think God can handle it. You don't think he can work things out. No, God is working. Chapter 21 of Genesis, we start to see some of the problems that Abram and Sarai's help 
causes. Chapter 21, verses 8 and 9, we see strife between Ishmael and Isaac. Sarah sees the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abram, scoffing at Isaac, the son of promise. Verse 10, Sarah wants to throw out Hagar and Ishmael. Look at verse 12. God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman, that's Ishmael, because he is your seed. So Sarah wants to throw out Hagar and Ishmael. And Abraham's distraught about this. And God tells Abraham, do what Sarah wants. He said, well, that's, that's interesting. Why would God tell Abraham to, to throw Hagar and Ishmael out what Sarah wants to do? Why would he allow Hagar to be cast out? He's already proven he can take care of Hagar. He's already done it once. He took care of Hagar and Ishmael. He's already done it. He'll do it again. God says, you leave them up to me. The son of promise, Isaac, is there with you. You leave Hagar and Ishmael up to me. I'll take care of them. And we see that he does in the rest of chapter 21. Well, as you know, or you've probably heard, Ishmael does grow up to be the wild man. That uh, 1612, when the angel Lord came to Hagar and said, you know, he's going to grow up and his hand's going to be against everybody. That does happen to Ishmael. Ishmael becomes the father of the Arab people. And one of the sad results of Abram and Sarai's foray into creating their own providence, trying to play God, one of the sad results, probably the biggest one, is the conflict and the struggle that for the rest of human history, the descendants of Isaac and the descendants of Ishmael, that conflict that would take place, guess what? It's still happening. It's rampant. That conflict between the Hebrew people and the Arab nations, we still see that today. Ishmael being the father of the Arabs, Isaac being the father under Abraham of the Hebrew people. So we say, well, how does, how does God work that out? How does, how, does God bring that, how does God bring that to good? Though Ishmael was a result of Abram and Sarai taking matters into their own hands, it was also not outside the providence of God. God uses the story in the New Testament. God uses the story of Hagar and Ishmael and Sarah and Isaac as an illustration of salvation by free grace and not by works. God takes a difficult, challenging, bad situation, and he actually uses it as a wonderful illustration of a glorious truth. In Galatians 4, verses 21 to 31, it says that we, being descendants by faith of Abraham, being in Christ, are not children of the bondwoman. We're not in bondage to sin. We're not in bondage to the law anymore. He says, in Christ, instead, we are children of the free woman. And so God takes this, this kind of weird and, and unbelievable situation with, with Abraham and, and Sarah and, and Hagar and Ishmael and Isaac, and, and, and the whole what were they thinking, what happened there. He takes that and he uses it as an illustration of salvation, taking a bad situation and turning it into a glorious truth, that we are not sons and daughters of bondage. We are sons and daughters by faith in Christ, 
to freedom, freedom in Christ. This is, this is a, a huge story here. A lot more could probably, probably be said about it. I just want to kind of wrap up this evening by recapping a couple of the applications. What do we learn from this episode in Abram's life journey? It's always hard in a narrative to, to draw from a narrative, this is exactly what you are to do, and this is, this is exactly what the, this person did. It's kind of hard to do that, but I think there's some things here we can learn from this. First of all, be careful how you help God. And I put that in air quotes, as Elijah did earlier this week, saying something, probably not knowing what air quotes even means. Right, bud? Help God. Be careful how you help God. Secondly, taking matters into our own hands always causes more problems than it causes solutions. Trust the providence and timing and sovereignty and power of God. Thirdly, God cares for those. We see this through Hagar and Ishmael. God cares for those who are taken advantage of and discarded, whether that's you or someone else. God cares for those people. And lastly, the promises of God will stand despite our best attempts to ruin them. The promises of God will stand despite our best attempts to ruin them. This is the verse, if it was, if it was written at that time, these are the verses that Abram and Sarah needed at that point. I think it's what we need as well. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, isn't that what they did? Well, we understand it this way, or we're going to accomplish it this way. No, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall what? Direct your paths. Trust that. That's a whole lot better than taking it into our own hands. Trust the Lord. Let's pray.